0: You're listening to SHL's Trendlines podcast, where we invite experts in talent management to discuss top trends in people science that help businesses thrive because their people thrive. Hello, and welcome to Trendlines with Aaron Krask. Today I have a very special guest and a friend of mine, Dr. Lily Lynn. She holds a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology and she is an executive director at Russell Reynolds. And today we'll be talking a lot about leadership development um, and executive selection. So Lily, welcome, I'm so excited to
1: talk with you today. Thanks for having me today, Erin.
0: Fantastic, so as we're diving in, what I would love to do is Just start by asking you a little bit about your background and what makes you passionate about leadership.
1: Yeah, um, well, I am an IO psychologist by training and so as i began my journey in io psychology i was always interested in the world of assessment so i actually focused first in the area of employee selection and um, started working for a company called ddi or development dimensions international for short and was really working on helping employers assess incoming or um, external talent at the lower levels of the organization to make sure that they were bringing in the best talent possible. And then as I started to develop in my career and gain more exposure to the leadership ranks, AKA started to get some white hairs and credibility, I started to be brought into opportunities that involved coaching and assessment toward the upper parts of the organization and through that work really saw how i could have more of an impact and be able to directly impact the 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 an organization by helping them really focus at the top and you know it's those leaders at the top that really have the uh authority and the ability to really affect the culture and the change of the organization. So through that work and being able to do one-on-one executive coaching and then also assess people at the higher levels, I saw that I could have much greater impact than just installing an employee selection system for an organization. So that's really kind of how I got the first taste of leadership and uh, I never looked back ever since.
0: Fantastic. What a neat journey too. I think it's interesting to think about how executive, when you get into the level of executive selection, that there's such a blur between the lines of selecting the right executives in, but also coaching them and providing that development. And and that when you're thinking about entry level selection, that's very much a cut and dry, you know, this is where we're bringing people in, these are the criteria we're measuring on, and this is what we need to hire on. And then the higher up you get, the more developmental and conversational and, and the more in depth that process becomes. So I think that's a really interesting journey. And I like how you mentioned that coaching as part of it, because it doesn't, it's not just one thing. It's not just, executive selection isn't just assessment, It's it's different components.
1: Right, yeah, and the impact is just so much higher at higher levels of the organization. There's more people who are being affected by good or bad leadership. So that's definitely why uh, there's much more rigor. And I think we'll be talking about that later around um, hiring, or I'm sorry, assessing at the lower versus the higher ranks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, And so as I think about the way the world is changing and kind of grounding our conversation in this new world of work. Um, and I think about the fact that we're two years into a global pandemic and just the there was this drastic change first in the way the world is working. And now we've kind of eased into what are some new norms, some continued, you know, shaken up processes where people are remote, strategies are more fluid there's just really not one roadmap, there's not really a historical context to draw best practices from when we think about how executives need to behave and manage crisis in this context. And so in this new environment, in in your experiences, what are some of those qualities that you're seeing the most successful leaders demonstrate?
1: Yeah, well, I think one thing that we've always known, uh, but may have surfaced even more in the past few years, or maybe even in the past couple decades, is uh, this importance around adaptability and agility, and it's gotten a lot more attention from farms like my own, as well as others like Corn Ferry, DDI, you know, you it—you Egon Zender, um, and it's just this whole notion that you're most... Uh, successful executives are going to be those that are able to adapt and change to the world. Because while we're all feeling this very drastic change because of the pandemic and every, all the other social issues going on, that's always been the case. The world has always been changing. And so as a result, that's always been a inherent leadership quality that we've seen as being the biggest indicator as to whether or not somebody is going to be able to rise up in the ranks and Demonstrate the calm and composure needed in order to be a really good executive. So um, I would say agility and adaptability are really critical uh, What we're what has also always been kind of a debate is whether or not Intellectual horsepower is critical for people to be successful at the top and um, Leadership's behaviors in and of themselves, you know, some people say, are leaders born or made? There's a little bit of a debate there, too. But I do think if you ask across the board, or if you ask anyone, what are some qualities that stand out to them in terms of the best leaders they had, is that genuine interest in other people and not being self serving. And I think that's still the case today. Um, and as well as uh, those that are able to step outside of themselves and understand and pinpoint the needs of their team or their peers or those around them in order to really make everyone successful or in order to remove roadblocks or create an environment that's going to allow everyone to thrive. So I guess to summarize, you know, it's always been agility. It's always been Adaptability, comfort with ambiguity, but also just a little bit of that genuineness and in the interpersonal factors that I think um, generally make people feel at ease and comfortable to be around these leaders.
0: Yeah, it it's really interesting thinking about that connective power, that um, that ability to just be present with people, develop those connective relationships, and how the how that's also changed in, um, well, a, a lot of people have worked in virtual environments or organizations where jobs have been dispersed for a long time, but this is a new level of that. And it re- and that's become more of like a, it seems like some of those qualities that you're talking about have become more universal rather than specific to organizations. That really all of the, the differentiator in an executive level leader would be that level of connectiveness And that's more broadly applicable than it's ever been before because of this kind of dispersed this, um, you know, virtual world. Is that, would you say, is that accurate? Is that really one of those differentiators that it's more broad, broadly applicable than ever before?
1: Yeah, I just think we're seeing it play out in different ways. You know, I, I think it's always been that leaders bring out the best in their team, but this day and age, their team is no longer physically around each other. Um, There are no visual reminders that, you know, Erin might need a little bit of help because she's about to embark on her first project, or Tim might need a little bit of help because he's now doing um, the work of A level above him so there aren't those visual cues or reminders and so I think one of the things we're seeing these days out of sight out of mind and the really good leaders are the ones that regardless of whether or not that person is still physically in front of them they are still thinking about them and they are allocating enough time to be thinking about what their team needs in addition to them trying to deal with the uh, the their own uh, job requirements and trying to get through their own work
0: yeah, that those reminders too are so important that I have to remember to connect with my people or making that mental note someone is working on a hard project or a project that's the stretch goal for them. I have to remember to check in and um and making sure to be good about and really diligent about those connective points when somebody isn't in front of you all the time. That's such or such an important point. And you know, when when you get to the most senior levels of that organization, uh, do you think that great executive leadership has changed? And and also, how has it stayed the same? Like, how, do you see any pre or post kinds of measures or like what how has it changed and stayed the same?
1: Yeah, um, I'd say in terms of how it stayed the same, you know, going back to those same things that we talked about earlier, bringing out the best in their team, really having a focus toward development, because it's only when they're de- de- developing other people that they're really able to have even greater impact beyond the work that they're doing day in and day out so that's always going to be there as is that genuine leadership quality you know that makes others want to really follow them I think you've always seen that you know you go back to some of those cases like Jack Welch and you know some of those other um, really prominent leaders that Uh, they've written books on and things like that Um, and then that agility piece I think those have remained the same I think some of the things that you're now seeing more of at the tops of the house is there's this whole social element now of being an executive so and when I say social I mean the spotlight is on you Um, you know you're, you're caught doing something bad there's now a gazillion cameras capturing that and you know uploading it to websites so you're now even more visible than you used to be as a leader. Um, so being able to demonstrate yourself in a way that is uh, you know, conducive to what brand your organization wants to be put out there is really important. Um, I also think a big change is now as we've started to globalize as a world or in the world of business, there's more reaching across uh, different countries and things like that. I think having that global acumen and really being able to understand how that impacts business in your industry. Those are um, things, if you work for a multinational company, that are very critical for executives these days. So no longer just thinking about how this is going to impact my headquarters or the country that my company is headquartered in, uh, but really thinking about the business decisions that you're making and how globalization is having an impact on that. Um, we see a lot of stuff around sustainability, too. So I think a lot of companies and um, a lot of the population now is very concerned about um, you know, environmental issues and the degree to which executives are able to demonstrate a focus on those types of things um, and be mindful of the kind of footprint that their companies are having You know, that's yet another thing. I mean, this all kind of parallels with social issues that we're just seeing and experiencing day in and day out when we watch the news, things like that. You know, just having your pulse on those types of issues. Black Lives Matter and social justice, that's also a very important thing that, and there's a ton of diversity and inclusion programs now that are being put into place by, I'd say, at least 75% of the Fortune 500 companies because there's such a concern about the way in which the organization is conducting itself in that way. So, I think the things that are changing and the requirements of executives has a lot to do with uh, what we as a human race are responding to, and those executives just have to, in some ways, um, kind of maybe even emphasize those particular frame, frames of minds or thoughts. Even more because it's expected of them as being, in some ways, role models for their organization and for the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, that. What an interesting point about being an executive isn't just about running a business and running your team. There's brand and the lifestyle. Um, the The way you live your life is reflective publicly of your company's image. There's so much tied up in to because of the because of the internet the you right the social justice justice movements that are happening in our environment the the climate all of these impact business success directly and and they all have to be addressed and and from a PR perspective owned by that most senior leadership team so that's a, it's a whole being an executive isn't just about success, successfully leading a business it's a lifestyle
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean you can't I don't know the covers anymore. You're not under the radar. You are expected to be an exemplar and expected to, in some ways, well, in many ways, be the face of the company. And I'm not just talking about CEOs. I mean, the entire C-suite uh, level of executives, especially for really large organizations like PepsiCo, Apple, Facebook, You know, they're all in the news. <laughs> so you can't really hide anymore. Um, and board members as well. Um, if anybody has watched the show Succession, I think it's a really clear example yeah. of how bad behavior can very quickly be, um, uh, you know, can really dissipate and and how bad of a, how much mud that can leave on the face of your organization.
0: So true. Now, when we think about leaders, uh, I think often about the, just the huge industry that executive recruitment is, and but from somebody who's working inside that industry, when you get to the most senior levels of the organization, do you find that most leaders are brought in from the outside? Are they grown internally? Does it depend?
1: Yes, it depends. Um, I know that's a total consultant answer, but Um, I'm now just starting to get more connected into the world of executive recruiting and search. Um, You know, historically, I've kind of been more inside an organization and helping them work internally on how they groom talent from within and and prepare successors to take over some of the top leadership roles. But there is this whole other world of executive recruitment, which is focused primarily on bringing talent in from the outside um, so the two worlds are very uh, prolific they, they make a lot of money um, I'm not sure which makes more money but as I've started to engage more with my colleagues I think what I'm finding is um, you know we have to work together because then we kind of get to uh, kind of eat from both sides of the pie like we're if we're able to earn money by providing internal consulting services, helping to groom talent from inside. And then our partners, you know, if it doesn't work out and they don't find a reasonable successor from the inside, I tap my external executive recruiters and they are then able to find a list of people who might be suitable um, to succeed, let's say, a CFO or something. But one thing we're finding is some of our clients are, unwilling to invest in coaching uh, because they just want the easy button and they want to bring somebody in from the outside uh, that's been groomed by another organization to come in and do what they need and that can be helpful because sometimes they need new blood they need a new perspective sometimes they're even recruiting from companies that are in a different industry and can see the carryover of leadership traits, but yet that different industry perspective, that's really going to help them think more disruptively and differently within their own industry. So those are cases where external recruitment really can be helpful to an organization. Um, Internal, what we tend to see is when there is more grow from within mentality. It's because we're dealing with companies that are a little bit more insular and, a little more on the curve or you know, on the continuum where they don't wanna rock the boat. They've been very successful doing what they've been doing for 50 some odd years and are just going to continue to do that and continue to grow at the pace that they want and not really upset the apple cart and just continue to thrive that way. And I think that's when we tend to see companies who are focusing more on growing from within versus selecting talent from the outside. Um, There's a a big cultural element, too, you know, like these companies have a very strong culture. And so it's sometimes hard to bring an executive in from the outside who um, could really get them to think a little differently. But there's tissue rejection going on. And so you bring them in, they're trying to push uh, changes and everyone around them is not really willing to get on board or listen to them.
0: Yes, tissue rejection. It's funny that you say that because that's exactly the thought that came into my mind when you said (laughs) that, that it's like that organ rejection. How do you how do you get that right person in the right role, especially in these really high stakes situations? And and so knowing that this is part of your world, help me understand when you're working at this high stakes, at such high stakes, what differentiates that executive leadership selection process from other selection processes?
1: Yeah, well, the most obvious one is money. (laughs) Um, They're a lot more expensive at that level. And it's because there's so much more rigor that's involved in assessing that executive. Um, It's a much more costly decision. If you hire a CFO who doesn't work out, you know, we're talking about all the money that you're paying a recruiter to find that person all the time and effort of your executive team that goes into interviewing that person, also, the relocation packages and buying them out if they have stock option from another company, it gets very expensive. I mean, we're talking millions of dollars if you make a really bad decision. So getting it right is very important. Unfortunately, not all of our potential clients really see the value in investing then, let's say, another fifty to $75,000 and you know, really making sure that this is the right person. Um, we're getting there, though. We're really just starting to try and sell more return on investment and I I think are doing a better job there. But um, the reason it costs so much more is because typically to assess executives or to even have a team of assessors that have the right credibility or the right experience for that person to be assessed, one, for that person who's being assessed to be like, okay, you didn't just graduate from college and you're asking me all these questions, you know. but having somebody that they feel like, okay, this person knows what they're doing and I need to sit up straight and take this seriously, You know, those more experienced assessors are gonna cost more money because they've been in the industry and they've been working longer, so they have higher salaries associated with them. But on top of that, if you really wanna get it right, oftentimes we have multiple assessors who are touching a candidate. And that way, you know, you've got some checks and balances in place, you've got some calibration going on, and it's through that that you now have a team of people who are making a decision as to whether or not this person is the right fit. So that really drives the costs up, and, um, you know, rightly so, because there's a lot of expertise and a lot of time and a lot of experience that's going into that dollar amount.
0: Yes, and that makes a ton of sense. It's definitely more ROI focused, more intensive, and that correlates with that deeper level process, the higher price point in that as well. And and so as we are starting to think about wrapping up our conversation today, I just wanted to briefly ask, thinking about the current and future state of leadership selection or executive leadership selection, is there anything on your mind as you're going into 2022 um, that you'd like to share with, uh, with our listeners?
1: Uh, I would just say, you know, I mean, I think we've hit on a lot of them. Um, But another one that I'll just kind of reiterate is a lot of companies are just so industry Oriented, so they they only want people who know their industry to come in and consult with them and do the assessments. And um, it gets kind of annoying and tiring on our end as consultants to be told that because we actually do think that. Having somebody who has more of that well-rounded exposure to other industries actually is going to be more valuable uh, because they are now going to they've seen it from all different walks. They can actually see perhaps some parallel industries where, let's say, bringing an executive in from the finance world into the pharma world could be very useful because they're both they both operate in highly regulated regulatory environments. So, you know, I think um, just encouraging maybe our potential future clients to have more of an open mind there uh, not just in terms of like who you end up selecting to be your consultants or your assessors but also as you yourself are starting to look to replace somebody inside your organization or succeed somebody in your organization be open minded because I I just think that our world is going to continue to um, morph and go in the direction of a really good leader is always going to be a good leader and technical capability can always be trained and picked up on.
0: Yeah. So that's my absolutely. big soapbox. <laughs> that's fantastic. And I love that idea of cross-functional thinking, thinking in, d- differently about who might fit into what kind of role. So. Thank you so much, Lily, for sharing your insights with us today and for um, just bringing this fresh perspective on executive selection and and really what makes it different and how it works in the modern world. And if you'd like to learn more about SHL's talent management processes and the way we help guide succession planning, differentiated development, please check out the talent management website or section of our SHL website and, and other podcasts in the series dedicated to talent management. And Lily, is there anywhere you'd like to direct our listeners to to learn more about the kind of work you're doing?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, one thing I forgot to say in the beginning is I've worked for Russell Reynolds now for just over a month. So uh, all the opinions shared here are not necessarily that of our organization. But I do feel that Russell Reynolds does have a really good handle on these issues. So if you're interested in learning more, or connecting with me, you can find me at russellreynolds.com
0: fantastic. Lily, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, we look forward to speaking with you soon.
1: Likewise. Thank you.
0: Thanks Thanks for listening to SHL's Trendlines podcast. To learn more about how SHL helps companies leverage their greatest asset, their people, please visit shl.com.